three basic things that you all need to remember. Uh, I don't know where that y'all came from, but anyways, uh, that you want to know. Number one, real simple, if you're taking notes, um, you want to write this down. God loves you. John 3.16, real simple verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The simple concept that God loves you enough that he was willing to die to have a relationship with you. God is smarter than you. Uh, Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so started going with this concept, going, okay, God loves me, God's smarter than me, and number three thing, three, see that? No, three. Okay, so God wants the best for you. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, in whom there is no um, shadow or variation of turning. And as we, as we look in Matthew 7, Jesus goes through and says, if you do this for your, your kids, even though you're evil, how much more so your heavenly Father in heaven? Will he not give good gifts for those who ask? And so I got thinking about this in life, going, okay, sometimes it doesn't seem like God cares, like God loves me, because things are just not going the way that you would want them to go. You pray and you're like, well, why didn't God answer my prayer? Why didn't God answer my prayer in the way that I thought he should? And I got talking to uh, someone about it and they were asking me kind of the popular question, is ready to have a baby at any point um, and we're just, God's the only one who knows when that point actually is. Which is a bit frustrating because you constantly get ready and there's constantly different signs. It's like, oh, and the baby's going to come. Like we spent, what is it, two, week and a half ago, we spent the night at the hospital because she was having lots of contractions and they're really close together. We're at the due point. She spent uh, like nine or 10 weeks on bed rest and then like, all right, we're off bed rest. We can have the baby. You're having contractions, 12 hours of contractions and then stop. Oh, that, that was kind of a bummer. And so then you, you, you go home and there's just, Lots of this, and they're asking me, well, how do you, you know, what do you think about this? What do you feel? Because it's kind of frustrating. It just keeps going, and you're like, get ready to do things, and, and then you can't do them. And I say, well, honestly, it hasn't been, it's kind of annoying, um, because I'm constantly debating on which things to plan for, which things not to plan for. Um, like, I want to do a birthday party for Benaya because he's about to turn four, but at the same time, you don't want to plan a birthday party and then not be there. Um, and so that's kind of been rough. But... You look at it and you go, you know, I don't know and I, I trust God. You go, why, why is all this craziness happening and he's not being born? Like, well, is it because he's not ready yet? Like, is, does God got to finish developing him? I said, well, maybe. And then I was thinking we watched like three other babies from Res that are in the hospital um, with RSV which is a respiratory system virus, I want to say is what it stands for, but it's an issue inside um, the respiratory system that can be deadly. And it's not such a big deal to you, but to a baby it can be deadly. And so going, is the reason that the, the baby's hasn't come yet is because we've been praying that God would protect Titus and God's protecting him from what would be an encounter with such things. And you, you go through and you go, you know, it may be the thing I'm frustrated at may actually be God answering my prayer in a way that I don't understand. And if I was to sit there and pick and go, God, 
would, if God was to lay out my options and go, hey, do you want to have the baby today and spend a week in the NICU? I'd say, uh, no, let the baby stay inside. If God was to say, hey, do you want to have the baby and then have the baby encounter um, this person who is going, has this disease, this sickness, and then have to fight it at the hospital and I'll deliver the baby that way, but it's going to be a long process. Would you rather the baby just stay in for another week and miss out on that? You're like, shoot, stay in for a week. If I had the options, if I knew all the things, but so often it can be easy to be frustrated and to go, well, God, I don't see how you're moving. God, I don't understand what's going on. And so often God's at work when we don't understand. And I wanted to just kind of bring some perspective because I know that in high school you go through a lot and a lot of times it doesn't look like God is working. Um, and I was thinking about some of the times in my life where God worked in really strange methods. God actually saved my life by a wet sock. Um, and it seems like an odd method to save someone's life. How are you going to save their life? A wet sock. And it just kind of reminded me of one of those movies where they plan out everything like really crazy. And in order to do something, they like unleash this crazy chain of events. But in this event, I was, I was racing over to play tennis with Tim. And so I was late getting out the door. So I just grabbed my socks, grabbed my tennis shoes. I think I grabbed my, put my flip-flops on and threw all my stuff in the car, grabbed my water and, and took off. And I'm racing over to his place. And as I get there, I just missed the light. So it's one of those ones you're like, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And you see, you're like, no, I'm not going to make it. Ah. So you're the first one at the light and it goes red and it's a long light. It's got a left-hand turn light and, and I'm sitting in the left-hand turn lane. And well, I'm stuck sitting here. My socks and tennis shoes I need to put on are right there to make use of the time. So put the car in park, take off my flip-flops and start putting on my socks and shoes. And I go put my sock, my one sock on and I put it on and it's all wet. Ah, my water bottle leaked on my sock. And I was quite annoyed at, at this thing. And you grab your water bottle and tighten it back up so it stops leaking. And, and then you're stuck messing with your sock. And once you get a nice wet sock on, you know how they peel off kind of funny? So you're like, nah, and you're messing with it. Well, as I'm messing with this wet sock, trying to get this wet sock back off, the light turns green. And I hate it when you're stuck behind somebody at a green light and they don't move especially when you're in the turn lane and it's got this teeny little light that's only going to let like three cars through and there's a line of 15 cars and you're like, move it. And so I, I hate making people wait. So I'm like, quick, quick, I got to go. And you rip all your butt sock, get it down there and hit. And I, then I grab the shifter and I go to put it in drive and I miss drive. I'm like, when do you miss drive? I've been driving for years. And then I go back, I miss drive again. Like I went from like, from park down to like second over to reverse. I'm like, why can't I find drive? And I, <laughs> I get it in drive. I take my foot off the brake and I'm about to hit the gas. So now the light has been green for, it seems like forever. It's probably been like two seconds, but um, long enough that I would be well on my way into the intersection. And I take my foot off the brake. I go to hit the gas. My foot just starts to hit the gas. And I see this semi that's about to blow the red light. I hit the brakes and watch a semi come through at at least 35 miles per hour. Just, boom, on my green light. Watch them go, look for another, and then I go. And it just kind of struck me going, had I not, had my water bottle not leaked and gotten my sock all wet, I would have been ready to hit the gas the second the light turned green. And I would like to tell you I'm a perfect driver and I'm aware of all things and would never um, trust a green light and, and go assuming that other people are going to stop. 
But the reality is my mind was on other things. I may very well and probably would have just said, oh, the light is green and then gone and would have gotten broadsided by a semi. And I thought about it like, wow. Thank you, God, for a wet sock. It may have just saved my life. And then I got thinking further about it, about this, this strange way that God saved me. And I thought, how often has God saved me that I am totally unaware? Because do you realize that if you get saved from a catastrophe, most of the time you don't know it because there's no catastrophe because you got saved from it? If I knew that you were going to have a car accident today because on your way home someone was going to run a stop sign and I was to hold you up for 30 seconds to make sure that you'd miss it, you would never know it. Unless you happen to watch them blow the stop sign as you were coming up. You don't realize a lot of times when God is working. And a lot of times we get frustrated at little things or at the way that God does it. I was looking in my Bible going, all right, does God often work in strange methods to help people? And I got thinking about Daniel in the lion's den. Anyone familiar with that story? Okay, for those of you guys who aren't, I'll give you the nutshell version. Most of us heard this in nursery. Daniel was an Israelite in the land of Babylon. Um, and the uh, couple of guys, he was, he was one of the rulers. He was helping to lead the nation, and he was doing a really good job. The king was thinking about promoting him. Some other guys didn't like him, didn't like the idea of him getting promoted. And so they're like, well, how do we get rid of Daniel? The only thing that they could think of was to make a law against praying because Daniel loved God. And so they get the king to pass a law that you can't pray to anyone except for the king. And if you do, you get thrown into a lion's den. They pass the law. Daniel prays. He doesn't stop praying. In fact, he doesn't even make it discreet. You would think, that you're like, all right, hey, they passed this law. I'm going to pray. Maybe I'll shut the shades before I have my prayer. You know, he's like, dude, I'm just praying. I will let the world know I believe in God. I pray to God. And if you don't like it, too bad for you. And he prays right at his window towards Jerusalem, just like he has every day, three times a day. And they, they watch him. They see him do it. They go report it. And you'd think this is where God would come in and protect him and go, all right, you're my man. You stood strong and you prayed. I'm going to give you so much favor with the king that you will be protected. You know what happens? He gets thrown into a pit of lions. That's just not the way you'd expect the story to go. And most of you guys go, well, I know what happens because I read this and heard this in Sunday school. Good for you. Knowing the end from the beginning. But he gets thrown in and God protects him from the lions. He's got to spend a night in there in this pit with the lions. And I don't know if, he, if the lions just like avoided him. If there was like an angel standing there with a sword, like keeping the lions away. Or if the, the God's like, lions be nice. And they like all like cuddle up to him and kept him warm. I don't know. I'll ask him what it was like when I get to heaven. But this much I know, that he trusted God. God delivered him in an unlikely way. But because God delivered him in an unlikely way in the morning, you can find this in Daniel chapter six. When the king comes down, rather than the king just going, you know what, I like you, Daniel, so much that I'm not gonna put you in the lion's den. I'm gonna change the law. That wouldn't have had a whole lot of effect on the country. But when he got thrown in there, God saved him in there. So then the king um, checks on him in the morning, discovers that he's alive, 
And then he writes to all the peoples when he discovers that he's alive, to every nation, language that dwell in all the earth. He said, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree in all my royal dominion. People are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. And this king goes, all right, as a nation, we're going to turn honor this God. God delivered him in a way that was unusual, but had an enormous effect in the end. And if you go back just three chapters to Daniel chapter 3, you hear another famous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three guys who refused to bow down before a king's idol. And he says, you know what? Bow down or I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Say, no, 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 we're not, we won't. I'm going to throw you into a furnace. And you'd think that God would deliver them by keeping them out of the furnace. It is the most logical method. But they get thrown into the furnace because they refuse to bow. And then they don't burn, which you'd think it would be easier to keep them out of the furnace than to let them go into a furnace and not burn. But they get thrown into the furnace and when they get taken out, Nebuchadnezzar answers them, says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses shall be laid in ruins, but there will be no God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And I got just thinking about this, how God was working in a way that they didn't understand. But they said, God, I trust you. God, I trust you that whether he needs to see somebody who's willing to give up their life or whether he needs to see your hand at work, God, I trust you. God, I place my, hand, my life in you and I trust that you're working. I trust you with me. As a father, I realize there's a lot of times where I do things that my kids don't like and don't appreciate and don't understand that are for their own good. And they get really upset about things that I do or say like, no, you can't climb up here and help me while I'm cooking this because that's really hot and I don't want you to get burned. No, you can't just grab stuff off the counter. They don't understand that because that cutting board looks interesting to them, but I know that on that cutting board is a knife. And if they just grab stuff blindly as they reach up there because they can't see over the counter, and they pull things down on them that it could stab them. Um, there's a lot of these different things that as a father, I know that I understand because I have perspective. As a three-year-old, as a two-year-old, to them, they don't understand why dad does things. And it can be really frustrating. I talked to Todd today, and it was, it was cool. His, he, he says his entire life, I, I doubt at one he was planning to go to West Point, but just about since then, he's had this dream that this is what he's going to do. Last year, he was graduating from high school, and he was all set. He got his ducks in a row, and he didn't get his acceptance letter from West Point. And it was the most frustrating thing for him because he'd been planning on this his entire life, felt like this is where God had called him, and yet things didn't come together. How could God be directing him in this way and then not have it come through? And it's very easy as an individual to look at it and go, God, why aren't you faithful? Because this is what you promised. This is what you spoke to me, and I don't see it. 
because we don't understand the big picture. He was really excited because after last year, he decided that he wasn't going to give up, that this is what God had put on his heart, that he was going to apply again and go through this process all over again. And he just got his acceptance packet to West Point. And as I was talking to him, and he began to lay out his, his plans, saying, this is what I want to do. And in order for me to do this, not only do I have to go to West Point, but I need to do really well at West Point. And I began to ask him, I said, you know, do you think that maybe the reason that you didn't make it there next year was you needed a step in between? Because high school is at like this level. College is at this level. You just talk to a senior who graduates and go to college. They take classes in high school, they take the same class in college, and they discover it's not the same. That the college class may be called the same thing. It may be called Calculus 101. It may be called, you know, Introduction 2, but it's not at the same level. And he experienced some of that where he took some stuff in there and he's like, in high school, it was a joke. I didn't have to try. I just aced this stuff. And then I got into college and then I got some of the stuff and it was actually work. And this, I said, you realize that you're going to one of the hardest universities in the country and you want to do one of the best in the class? Do you think that maybe you're not making it your first year was God's act of kindness in, in giving you a step in between? to brace yourself and to prepare yourself on a greater level so that you could actually accomplish all the things that God put on your heart to accomplish when you get there? Oh, yeah. You know, it really was helpful in listing off some of the different things. And whether it had to do with the college side of it or if it had to do with the character and the different things that God's done in his life because God's done a lot in his life in this last year. But I just begin to look and realize that so often I look around and God is doing some great things. And in hindsight, I can look back and see God at work at a lot of times that things, while in the circumstances were just frustrating and it, in the circumstances I didn't understand. In the circumstances I was like, God, I don't understand. Why are you letting this happen? Why is this not happening the way that I believed it was going to happen? Why isn't this happening the way that I prayed it was going to happen? And sometimes God's working in a way that you don't, expect. But there's something else you need to, to understand. Not everything that happens is from God. If you believe that everything that happens comes from God, you will have a very twisted view of God. The Bible makes it very clear that there are things that happen that God does not want. If anyone says otherwise, it's very, it's kind of simple to prove. Does the Bible tell you to love people or to punch them? Love them. Do you have the free will and the ability to walk up and punch somebody? Yes. If you do this, was it God's will? Done. Proven. Because I could walk up and punch somebody. It would, it would be disobeying God. Therefore, it would be producing what God does not want. Sometimes there is hurt, there is pain because of our stupid. You've never done something stupid? You've never hurt themselves due to their stupid? Okay. For the rest of you, just wait. Um, but at some point, you do something that seems like a good idea that in hindsight you discover was stupid, and it can cause pain to you. How many of you have ever been hurt by someone else's stupid? All right. Everyone raises their hands for this one. They're like, I don't have to admit my own stupid. Yeah. Um, also, there's times when there's pain and there's hurt because someone else was stupid. Whether that stupid was not thinking before they threw something, 
um, and looking to where, to where they were throwing and hit you in the head with something, whether that was stealing something, whether that was um, saying something hurtful, whatever it was, people can do things and their choices can affect you. And sometimes it's just a result of living in a world affected by sin. And there's a whole sermon on that. But sometimes it is a direct attack from the devil. And a lot of people get confused by well-meaning people with bad theology. Well-meaning people will say stuff, will come up to you in a time of extreme brokenness and hurt and look at you and be like, well, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> There's a really great reason that you just lost your leg. Like, what? Like, there's a, there, everything happens for a reason. You're like, shut up, my mom just died. Or like, like they, they, they do, they say it at times like that. And you look at them and you really want to punch them. And sometimes people do because they say it at such a raw time in life, whether it's because someone died, was abused, was severely injured or was hospitalized. And people sit, walk up and, well, everything happens for a reason or say something um, great like, well, God just works in mysterious ways. Are you trying to tell me that God cut off my leg? Are you trying, like, does God work in mysterious ways? Absolutely. But that does not mean that everything that happens, God's doing for a mysterious way. You need to understand that God can take something sad and broken and fix it. That God can take something that's sad and broken and that was meant to hurt you and turn it into a great strength. But that does not mean that God is walking around breaking people so that he can use them. Sitting here going, well, I need you to be strong, so I'm going to kill your mom and cut off your leg. Like, no, that, that's, but that's what a lot of people, that's when people are going through circumstances and people come up with these comments and then they have anger towards God and people are like, well, why are you angry at God? And, well, because you went and told him that God did that to him. The Bible says that God wants life and life more abundantly and that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, who does that look like? If they have their leg cut off, is that, is that life abundantly or is that like death and destruction? Is that killing, stealing, or destroying? You stole their leg and destroyed it. Like that's, that is textbook definition of what the devil does. When someone died, it doesn't say, and God needed another angel in heaven. That is nowhere in the Bible. And I, have, I can't tell you how many people I, I've heard say that when someone is grieving because they lost somebody and someone walks up, God just needed another angel. Like, Where did that come from? But for you to understand that while God did not do that, if you'll give God your brokenness and your hurt, that God can do something with it? That God can take an attack, no matter how ugly of an attack it was, no matter if it was losing your leg and losing your mom, no matter what it is, if you will go, God, this is what happened. Here's my brokenness. Here is my pain. God, can you do something with this? Let me trust you to work in the midst of my mess. God can do something awesome. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Does it say that God causes all things to happen? No. But he can work 
in all things? That means that even in the times that the devil comes and tries to destroy, that if we will give it to God, God can turn it around. We, we find examples of this all throughout the Bible. You find Joseph, whose brothers lied, beat him up, and sold him into slavery. And as the story goes on, he goes through all sorts of just abuse and craziness for like 17 years. Or I guess it would be 13 more years. He was at 17 when he got sold into slavery. He was at 30 when they showed up in Egypt. So for years of this, or when he, I think it was 30 when they showed up, or when 30 when he got appointed to be the second most powerful person in the world at that time. Because Egypt was, I want to say, the superpower at that point in history. But God used him and his brothers freak out later because they're worried that he's going to um, try to get revenge. He just looks at him and goes, you guys tried to kill me. You guys meant it for evil. God used it to save, um, uh, to save many people that they should be kept alive as they are today. God meant it for good. God turned it around. If we will give him our pain, and go, God, this is a mess that I don't want to be in, that I don't understand, but God, I trust you. What can you do with my mess? When Ezekiel was born, our, was about to be our middle child, he came two months early. We spent a little over 20 days in the NICU, which is the neonatal intens intensive care unit. It's a spot you never want to be. And medically, and now in hindsight, talking to, to doctors is much safer than what it seemed to be while you're in it, in the midst of it. They're talking about how many times he randomly forgot to breathe. Because as you're growing in the womb, the fact that you need to breathe is something that you learn, apparently, in the womb. And then a baby that's born too early occasionally will have all the alarms go off because they stop breathing. And then a nurse just needs to come and like shake them to re wake them up and remind them to breathe. And they're like, oh, he only had that happen twice last night. You're like, what? You know, freaking out. And it was a really hard time for us. And they're like, all right, God, can I trust you in the midst of my mess? That you're not putting us here because you're vindictive. But in spite of this attack or this brokenness that we're experiencing in, God, if I give it to you, can you use it? And watched through this time, another family that was in there whose baby was born with cancer, that we got to open up some ministry to them and got to see their baby completely healed and their, their entire family begin to turn around and have a relationship with God. And I got to be a part and baptize some of them as they encountered God because God was able to use our mess. And to realize there are times when we encounter brokenness and sadness, but God wants to turn around the mess and to make it something amazing. I watched in Acts. I say I watched because I read and I picture things, but I really wasn't there. But anyway, I read in Acts. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it lets us know that there was this great persecution that arose. It was the devil's attempt to end the church. The church was pretty much just in Jerusalem, and he was like, all right, this is a chance to kill them all and to stop the church from spreading. And this great persecution arises. It's just after chapter 7 where they killed the first, um, the first 
follower of Jesus for following Jesus. He was the first martyr. And as they do this, you go, what did it do to the church? Well, in verse 4, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. We go down to verse 5, and it goes through and says, and the crowds with one accord paid attention. And I, I kind of, and then it goes through, and that they heard him and saw the signs he did. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And it goes through and says that there's all this attack of the enemy. And God goes, will you give it to me? I'll turn this attack around. What Satan tried to use to stop the church, I'll use to spread the church and make it unstoppable. And as I was actually talking to Todd today, and just kind of talking about his appointment at West Point, talking about what we were going through with Titus, and just, just trusting God and going, I know that God is working even if I don't understand why, if I don't understand the what's. Can the band go ahead and come on up? I think that there are some of you guys who need to just be reminded that God hasn't forgotten you, that God loves you, that he wants the best for you, and that God is working. That God says, I want to see healing in you. I want to bring, uh, I want to turn your mess into a message. And I, statistically, I don't know everybody's story. Statistically, I could look around and go, I know that some of you are abused. I know that some of you have been through horrible, broken families. That some of you guys have had life go horribly wrong. And it can be very easy in those times to go, God, if you're real, I thought you had a plan for me. And we're going to go into a song. But I want to give you guys a chance to do one of several things. There are some here who say, you know what? I need, I need prayer because I'm broken. There's some of you who go, there's parts of my life I just need to give to God and go, God, this is my mess. Can you do something with it? And I want to challenge you as we, as we sing this song to, to lay it down going, God, here's my mess. What can you make out of it? Some of you guys, it's a matter of declaring going, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to turn to you as the rock in my life and trust that you will guide me through and that you can make something out of me. And you can make something out of the mess that I'm in. There are probably some of you who don't have a relationship with God. And it may be because of brokenness. It may be because of someone's poor theology and stupid things that they said. But if you say, you know what, I want to start a relationship with God. Before we go into this worship, I want to give you a chance to declare Jesus to be your Lord. And then I want to give everybody a chance to let God do a work in you to lay down anything any brokenness and hurt to declare God to be faithful to declare that God is working and has and will see you through the mess that you're in that he can turn around the brokenness and the hurt and use it for something beautiful <clears throat> but let, let's start with those that say you know what I need to start a relationship with God I need to give God all of me because I need God I need forgiveness. I need to give him my brokenness. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If that's you, say, you know what, today, I need to make God the Lord of my life. When I count to three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. 
One, two, three. Raise up your hands nice and high. So that's me. Awesome. Who else says that's me? Awesome. All right, you can put your hands down. If you raise your hand or you say, you know what, I've, I've done that before, then go ahead and join us as we call on God's name and declare him to be Lord. Thank him for what he's done and give him our life. Go ahead and repeat for me. Say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing away my sins. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name.